0: Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling.
1: He's big. He's athletic, plays very hard. The fact that he didn't play this year, um, you know, we opted out, tried to get back in, but it was too late. But um he uh we felt like he's a player that if he had played this year and had similar production or better, that uh his, his value really would have gone up next year. So uh we feel like we got great value there and uh we're gonna say that about any pick we have, but if we actually we're actually very excited about it.
2: Well there's Jason Light right there talking about this year's first round pick of the Super Bowl champ bucks. Joe Tryon, the edge rusher. Out of uh, Washington, Luke. They showed the reaction of the Bucks War Room on the broadcast. Certainly, looked like they got their guy, right? I mean, I think that was pretty evident.
3: Yeah, he was their guy the whole the the whole way, and that's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to hit on at number thirty two, right? It's it's one thing to you know target Devin White at five, you know, and and be pretty confident that he's going to be there. But Tryon was was their guy really early on in this process, and and Jason touched on why. When they looked at the 2019 film and saw what he was capable of at his size, a 6'5", 260-plus, has a very similar frame and skill set to Jason Pierre-Paul, the guy that he's going to basically be learning under and, and probably eventually replace, you know, they saw a guy that, that, like Jason said, if he had gone back to, and played in 2020, I don't think there's any chance he gets anywhere near number 32 overall. Uh, and there was, you know, the only reason I didn't mock him to the Bucks at 32 was because I had him off the board. Uh, I expected him to go sooner than that because I felt like at least one team other than the Bucks was going to be smart enough to know that uh, and take him off the board and, and play on the upside there. Um, but nobody did. He fell right into Tampa Bay's lap, uh, and they are very, very happy about it. Again, a very perfect fit for this defense, and, and he gets to sit behind Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and, and soak that all that experience up and, and polish his technique. But you can't teach the physical tools he has, the size the explosiveness the power uh the athleticism so a lot to develop there and the bucks are really happy that they could just sit there at 32 and have the guy that they targeted all along fall right to them
2: yeah and speaking of that the bucks sitting there at 32 that's a different spot for them right the bucks aren't usually picking at 32 as you kind of alluded to that's a good problem to have and what i thought was kind of interesting here you know i don't think any of us are, are surprised they went edge rusher i think that makes a lot of sense but it, they kind of capped a late day one run on the edge rushers, right? I mean, the Saints, they kind of surprised by picking P.J. Turner at 28, Greg Russo to the Bills, Jason Owe to the Ravens. So you got all these edge rushers coming off the board, and the Bucks kind of capped that run. I thought that was kind of fascinating how that played out at the end of day one.
3: Well, and I think what's fascinating about it is is—is you look how many of those edge guys went right before them, and if, if the Bucks had been the team, picking at the front of that run they would have taken joe tryon yeah yeah. so from their perspective and if you watch jason light the rest of his comments in that press conference he kind of alluded to the fact that there were guys that came off the board that they had lower ranked than tryon i think he was taking a shot at all of those teams ahead of them who took edge rushers and didn't take their guy because again if you had if you had put the Bucks at 25, 26, and they were ahead of all those teams you just mentioned, Tryon would have been their guy too. So it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility for them to look ahead and see, ooh, maybe we're going to have a run here. We better trade up and get our guy. They would have done it. They are glad they didn't have to because they would have taken him above all of those guys.
2: We talked about some of your mock drafts and some of the others that had running backs getting mocked to the Bucks at 32. Najee Harris was kind of the dream, right? Uh, so... Harris and Aachen off the board, the kid from Clemson off the board. I guess they could have gone with Javante Williams at the end of the first round and then targeted Edge in the second, right? I mean, but I guess they are pretty loaded at, at that position. You just brought back Lenny Fournette. You brought in Gio Bernard, right? Uh, but only Keyshawn Vaughn is under contract past 2021, right, Luke? So I thought we'd see a running back at some point, but they did pass on that position. I mean, did that uh, did that surprise you at all?
3: No, it really didn't. And again, part of it's the way the board fell with, with both Harris and HN off the board and, and I like Williams a lot, but you gotta look at the way the team is structured right now and think if you add a first round pick running back to that running back room, what is that what does that depth chart look like this year? Are you gonna keep five running backs? There's no way, right? So yeah. you've got Jones and Fournette, you know, taking the early downs, Gio Bernard's the veteran who's the perfect third down back, Keyshawn Vaughn didn't see the field a lot last year. We've talked about it before. Might not see the field much this year, just even the way things are now. So if you, if you spend a first round pick on a running back, Keishon Vaughn's gone somewhere. You're trading him, you're cutting him. You don't want to cut a third round pick a year later. Are you trading Ronald Jones? Or I mean, like what are you doing to make sure that roster spot isn't basically wasted because you're bringing in a rookie, but cutting a guy who would otherwise get meaningful snaps. So I think, and we talked about this in multiple episodes leading up to the draft, that every, every move they had made up till the draft Pointed towards edge rusher. It pointed towards outside linebacker. They didn't. They they went into the draft with the same amount of depths they did last year, and it wasn't very much. So, you know, it, it was clear to us. I think that they were pointing that direction, and that's why Tryon, I think, was their guy the whole time because they they addressed everything else and kind of left themselves open to be able to use that pick on an edge rusher that they knew would come in and be able to rotate in, get plenty of snaps if they need him, but wouldn't have to start right. And I think at running back, it's just a completely different beast now. A year from now, I think we're talking about maybe the Buccaneers having taken a running back in the first round, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A and M, Brees Hall from Iowa State. Uh, you know, that's a, a possibility on the back end of the it, first round. Is now this because your
2: 2022 like, mock draft that you're throwing out there? I'm Luke. already you getting into it, man. I've already, already it. got it out there, but
3: but that's you know, and, it, and it's because of what you said. This year, the depth chart is loaded next year it might be like Will Smith in that final scene of Fresh Prince where Keyshawn Vaughn's standing in the living room and all the furniture and the people are gone and he's like what happened because everybody else's contracts are up so that makes a lot more sense down the road
2: circling back to Joe Tryon I, I do want to say uh, he makes all the sense in the world with JPP entering the final year of his deal but you know, everyone on the Bucks comes back, right? So I'm sure JPP, he'll find his way back to the Bucks as well. But I'm sure we'll see this kid contributing. He's got some studs to learn under. But one thing I found interesting is Mel Kiper kind of came right out and said that, yeah, this kid shows flashes of brilliance, but he needs to be coached up, especially against the run. And, you know, the Bucks are, well, I guess they do, they stuff the run with their linebackers, and we could talk a little bit about uh, the kid they, they did draft, and I think they found another one that, that can help there. But... Did you see any of that, that try and struggles against the run a little bit? Is that something that they're going to have to work with him on?
3: I think a lot of it is is technique and understanding your spot in the scheme, right? And I think that if if, if any player is hoping to be coached up to his potential at the next level, you want to, A, be playing in a defense that Todd Bowles is in charge of. <laughs> and, B, you want to be coached by Casey Rogers, who was just voted by his peers as the as the best defensive line coach in the nfl so uh it's not like joe tryon is going somewhere where he'll have to worry about that as long as he is willing no matter what uh, you know again you know, what you saw on tape that you didn't like it, it was really far and far in between, few and far in between but that's what it was it was a guy that you saw was a great athlete that at times just didn't quite know how to use it in 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 the ways that a, a more coached up veteran would and again i think if he goes back to school last year and he is able to play even a a truncated season in the Pac-12, I think we're having a much different conversation where you would see some of that polish. Um, And so, again, you know, that on top of the fact that, like I said, he's going to a defense that arguably the best defensive coordinator in the league, the best defensive line coach in the league, evidently, according to the rest of the league's defensive line coaches. Um, So I think it's a perfect spot for him in so many ways.
2: It's a good situation. It's a really good situation. And and real quick, just a little housekeeping note. I just want to applaud you, Luke, and the whole crew at the NFL wire, you know, NFL wires, draft wire, touchdown wire. I mean, you guys just absolutely killed the draft. Uh, it was so fun. All the content you guys are putting out there, all the interaction on social media. It was just so great. So just a quick round of applause. Shout out to you and the crew.
3: Hey, we appreciate it, man. It, it's it's such an honor, genuinely, to be a part of this team. I took this job on June 1st of 2016, uh, and I haven't been more proud to 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 be a part of a team and a crew, uh, Neil Coulong and, and what he's done to build uh, just an incredible team of editors and writers and, and people that – cover this team in in a very in-depth way, but in a way that I think our fans particularly really enjoy um, because we, a lot of, a lot of us don't pretend that we don't love these teams. You know, we, we we do our best to to speak with the voice of the fan. um, And I think that comes through. I, I think it comes through that we're not necessarily your regular beat writer who's, you know, there to do a job, but might not actually have you know too much of an emotional investment in the in the in the game. And there's definitely a place for that, and, and there's value in that to a certain degree. But I do think there is something about the way we cover it that fans really do appreciate and connect with uh, on a different level because of that. So, I, again, I'm proud to be a part of this team. Hope to be a part of it for a long, long time because I, I love the way we go about our business, uh, and it's a lot of fun along the way. So, what more can you ask for?
2: Trust me, as a fan, it's so fun because not only do you get to digest and devour the content, but you get to see how your favorite writers are reacting in real time, especially on Twitter. And if you're following Luke on Twitter, and if you're not, what's your problem? Do it. Uh, You get to see exactly how Luke felt in real time about the player that Bucks drafted in the second round. And I got to say, I had a similar reaction, and we'll get to all that coming up next.
1: He's, there's a lot to like about him. He's a big kid. He's tough. He's very smart. He's a great teammate, great leader. Um, He's got... Plenty of arm talent, great touch. He's a quick processor, um, and he's he's played very well there. Love love his story of perseverance. The guy's a fighter. He's a competitor, and um, once again, a great team player. He's had a lot of players there at Florida. they thrown the ball around too, and he's had a lot of success. And we had a lot of great players here too. So, um, looking forward to having him in the building, and and you know, in time, developing him. And like I said in the previous press conference, we. There's a this is a great place for a quarterback to come and to to be groomed. And you're playing with uh, the goat and you've got uh, some great, great coaching staff.
2: Well, there's Jason Light again. He's talking about Kyle Trask, the second round pick of the Bucks, And this one was a little surprising, Luke. I guess we thought they were going to we knew they were going to draft a quarterback. It was just a matter of when. And on one hand, they did correctly predict the run on the second-tier QBs, right? They pick Kyle Trask right at the end of the second round, and then Kellen Mond and Davis Mills that come right off the board. So they correctly predicted that run. So you got to give them that. But at the same time, it was a little disappointing, wasn't it? And I think your tweet was just, Ugh. right. And I felt the same way. I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with you taking the quarterback, but did you have to do it in the second round? You know, like, oh, man, I thought in this draft especially, I want to get your take on this. This is one thing I'm really interested in is – The talent pool was different, and I just—I'm not sure. It seemed like there was a lot of GMs trading back and just trying to get a jump on the undrafted free agent thing. Like there was just—it was—it was was hard to be sure how much talent was going to be in the back end of this draft. I thought rounds one, rounds two, with the smaller player pool this year, were super important. And to take Trask in round two is a gamble. We'll see if it pays off, but. You know they missed out on some talent, I think, in round two by by taking this quarterback. What do you think about it?
3: Yeah, I think they did, and and again, this is there are so many levels to, to this process, right? And so w- the way I approach this process from a draft wire perspective, that's the voice I speak of when I when I just tweet sigh, you know, <laughs> right? When right they exactly. Say, because that's in what it a was. Vacuum, it was
2: Sai, right? That's what you tweeted
3: in a vacuum. I had a fourth round grade on Kyle Trask. (laughs) So taking that guy at 64 is a reach, right? In, 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 you know, very basic terms. So that part of it is my immediate reaction. Like I want to feel like the bucks get a steal at every pick. I'm selfish. I'm greedy. I want, Whatever the best player is that falls that nobody picks, I want them to take him so they look smart, right? That's literally your so job, want, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I want. I want you know when Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa is still on the board, I just want you to take him because it's fun and makes everybody else angry that they didn't get a chance <laughs> to take him. So you know that that aside, when you start to put on the the team goggles, which again is the only way these teams look at this. No, no team. Gives a crap about my 300 board. Okay, no no team looks at the draft the way any media scout or media reporter stacks these boards. It's not the same process at all. It can't be, right? You've only got – if you're a team, you only care about this process as it relates to your team philosophy, your scheme, what you look for in a specific player at a specific position, and that is going to vary wildly between one team and the next team and the rest of the league. So it's never going to look the same as someone like me from just a macro level, trying to stack the board in a general sense, because there's so many different variables that teams are using that I'm not. Right. And so I admit that. So when you, when you look at it from another perspective and say, first of all, just like you said, you know, it'd be easier to look and say, Oh, well, if Trask is fine, but you could have taken him in the third or fourth. No, you couldn't have because someone else would have taken him because clearly that run on quarterbacks happened. Yep, Second of all, the Bucs needed absolutely nothing, Ryan.
2: Nothing. <laughs> true. Right. And that's so you can't. Under, an, you can't there, over Yeah, you can't overstate that.
3: Right. There's an element of what could they have possibly taken that's going to make enough of a difference this year to get them closer, you know, maybe you take a different wide receiver instead of Jalen Darden, even though Jalen Darden might make an immediate impact as a kick return guy that they've been missing for years. But if Kyle Trask hits at quarterback that is more valuable than anybody else they could have taken at that pick. So whether it's in two years or four years or 10 years, whenever the hell Tom Brady stops drinking from the fountain, <laughs> never that position is so important so that to the point where if Kyle Trask hits, even if the other guy, they would have taken hits, it's more important because it's a quarterback and it's successful. So, and, and obviously at the end of the day, if you're going to develop a quarterback, you might as well take a guy who literally has been a backup his whole life. And when he was finally got the chance, when his number was finally called, he was ready, he delivered, and he stepped up in a big way and turned his team into a winner. So I, I don't know. I, from that perspective, it's really hard to look at that pick and be upset and be kind of even just disappointed or like, "Eh, I think they could have done better because it's just a different situation, man. It's not like some of these teams where they had a really big need and they went all seven rounds without touching it. A couple of teams did that. And you're like, what are you doing? Like you needed a left tackle and you literally drafted none of them. What's going on. The bucks did not need anything. So while this feels like probably a really boring draft for the bucks it's that's what they wanted. That's what they needed. They need, they wanted a draft where they can pick certain guys at certain spots that they liked for very specific reasons that help build depth. Now help with the future, if necessary and immediately help on special teams, they did all of those things. So I don't understand if from a Bucks fan perspective, as opposed to a macro media scout perspective, sure. Would I like to see every p- player that I ra- you know, ranked and graded picked in the exact order, sure that would make me look smart but the league will never work that way and it can't so from a Bucks perspective the pick makes sense and if it hits nobody will care.
2: No, nah, it's just a great explanation of it that made perfect sense to me and it just you're, you're right the Bucks draft it, it lacked the sex appeal of like the bears moving up for Justin Fields. Like that was such a fun moment that happened in the draft, but the bucks didn't have to do that. They have Tom Brady, right? So that's the thing. It, yeah. it
3: lacks this, it lacks the sex appeal.
2: Cause they're not that desperate. Right? Exactly. They're <laughs> not that team. I, I got a kick out of Jason light describing Kyle Trask. He's like, he's big, he's tough. He's a great leader. He's a great teammate. It's like, he's like describing Tom Brady almost. And then he's like, and he gets to learn behind the goat. So I got a kick out of that. But uh, at least, you know, he talked to Tom about it, right? And Tom was all for them, drafting the quarterback. Same way the Bears did with Andy Dalton when they went up to get Justin Fields. They talked to him. You know, if only the Packers would have done that with Aaron Rodgers, you know, Luke. Like, maybe that wouldn't have overshadowed the entire first round of the draft, the Aaron Rodgers drama, you know what I mean? So, at least the Bucks talked to Brady about it first. I like that.
3: I, I feel like that's that's not too much to ask, and I feel like <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer. So, the fact <laughs> that the Packers did not do that before they made the dumbest pick of last year's first round, no no shade to Jordan love whatsoever. He has nothing to do with this. That is not his problem. He is not the problem here. It is again, the communication, the value, I think, what was it? Ian Rappaport or somebody, you know, one of those insiders was tweeting out like some report about the Packers. Well, they tried to move up and it didn't work. And they, you know, they really tried to get a receiver. They wanted Justin Jefferson and then they took Ayuk right in front of them. So, you know, they really tried. Yeah. But then they traded up for Jordan love instead of staying at 30 and taking T. Higgins, or taking LaVisca Chennault, or Michael Pittman, or Chase Claypool, or any of these other rookie receivers that made a huge impact as a rookie. Instead, So, it's I hate this whole revisionist, like, well, we tried, so we were only left with one option, which was to trade up for your eventual successor. Like, <laughs> get out of here with that BS.
2: It's, it's a great point. Like, they almost couldn't miss if they took any wide receiver in those first Any few of rounds. them. But they took... Jordan Love, and then they took A.J. Dillon. So they they made the bet. And then they didn't talk to Rodgers, and apparently he's upset, I've heard. Um, but anywho, um, uh, so you mentioned Jalen Darden, the wide receiver that the Bucks took. I want to get your take on maybe like rounding up your thoughts on this Bucks draft. Uh, the Bucks dip into that tiny wide receiver thing, right? There's, they joined the party. That's That's been a thing, especially with this draft class, that smaller gadget-type special-team burner type of player. So I thought that was interesting that they picked up that kid and then I mentioned Britt earlier, the kid from Auburn. Just seems like he's a he kind of fits what the Bucks like to do. They love these old school linebackers that'll come up and just destroy a running back. And that's one of my favorite things about watching the Bucks play football. Luke is you can't run against them. You try and they don't only stop the run, they destroy the run. They just completely crush you. And I feel like that this KJ Britt kid in the 5th round he has a chance to stick around, make the team, and he he just feels like he's kind of fits the mold that the Bucks like at linebacker.
3: Yeah, yeah, a couple things on both of those guys, and I'll, I'll kind of hit on the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, J- Jalen Darden, I'm I'm probably the most excited about him in terms of anybody in this draft that, that the Bucks ended up with, and it's not just because he's going to wear number one, uh, which Perfect. receivers have not been allowed to do ever. So I'm excited that somebody's finally going to wear that number and make it look good on those kick returns. But you know, when you're a day three pick, you're almost always going to try to make the team on special teams, right? That's, that's your whole thing. And the bucks went into this draft, you know, very vocal about the fact that they needed to rebuild those special teams. They lost Ryan Smith, who was their best special teams, ace, uh, played corner, but really was their special teams gunner. Uh, they lost him in free agency to the chargers. Their special teams were not that great in general, you know, away from him. So they, they really wanted to focus on that. And so if you look at all of these picks that they made on day three in particular, it's a lot of guys that they think can come in and compete for a roster spot just as a special teams player. So Darden, his part of that is this team has not had a a return man that scares anybody in years, in a, a long, long time. And Jalen Darden, I think immediately makes the roster just on that alone. He's immediately the best return man on this team. And I think his explosiveness uh, his quick twitch ability, go watch his film, man. He is he is the kind of guy who can stop and start yesterday. And it's really, really fun to watch. And I don't care how big you are, he's got, you know, he's fast, but his best quality is that short area quickness, that ability to, to stop and then get to top speed very quickly. And when you're a return guy, you, you see those lanes and you can stop and start and, and make something happen. It, it, you can make big plays uh, in the return game. And I, I think that's where he'll make an immediate impact. KJ Britt, very similarly, on, on special teams, and he is, a, he is a guy that will rally people in the locker room. He's a very vocal, very high-energy, rah-rah leader type of guy. I know the Bucks love those guys. They love team captains. They love guys that, that want to hit and want to be physical on special teams and, and lead by mm-hmm. example and show that they're willing to do the dirty work. K.J. Britt is absolutely that guy. And I think K.J. Britt has something in common with Joe Tryon in that the Bucks got value in Tryon because he didn't play last year. And I think if he played last year, he would have gone a lot higher. K.J. Britt missed all but two games last year with an injury, but it was a thumb injury. It's not a knee. It's not a, you know, a broken ankle. It's not something that's like the kind of injury where you worry like, oh, is he ever going to be the same because of explosiveness or anything like that? It's not that type of injury. So I feel like the fact that we didn't get to see K.J. Britt for most of the season last year is the biggest reason why he was still available in the fifth round. And I think if he stays healthy and he's able to play through that season, even if it was a thumb injury that was kind of like, hey, we can tape it up and finish the season, I think we're talking about him as a potential day two pick and uh, instead the bucks land him at uh, in the fifth round. And I think he's quit. He's a guy who could absolutely be a, a very valuable presence on special teams and in the locker room and has the ability to down the road. If whenever, you know, Levante David loses a step, cause it hasn't happened yet. Um, he's a guy who I think definitely has starter upside there, but um, Robert Hainsey is a guy that I know they love. Played right tackle for three straight years at, at, uh, at Notre Dame as a starter. But then went to the Senior Bowl and played guard and center, too. And I think that's really what, what uh, you know, perked the, the ears up for the Bucks because they need youth up front. They need depth. They need they, – Ryan Jensen's contract is up after this year. Alex Kappa at right guard, his contract's up. So having a guy who can play, who has a ton of starting experience at a high level at right tackle, but also proved at the senior bowl that he can slide inside, play guard and center if you need him to, I think that made a big difference. Again, two-time captain, very well-respected leader of a, of a big program. I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, and then on, on uh, those last two picks, Chris Wilcox from, from BYU, huge – Long arms, super fast corner. You know, when you have that kind of height, length, speed profile, you're going to get drafted just because teams want to get you in their building and see if they can develop those physical tools. I think he has a chance to make uh, the team on special teams as well with that speed. If he can prove that he can be tough enough. And then Grant Stewart, I I loved that pick Uh, Mr. Irrelevant, but he's another (laughs) guy that really, really shined at the senior bowl. You can't miss the hair obviously, uh, but he's a guy who's been through a lot in his life. He's basically been raising his siblings for, for quite a while now and, and is someone that has worked really, really hard to take care of them and, and show them the right way to be and, and lead by example. So as a person and as a player, there's a lot to respect about Grant Stewart. And I think, again, he's one of those guys that's going to, to do the hard work on special teams and, and practice well uh, and lead by example that way. And I think those guys make the roster. Those guys are, are where you build your special teams around. And I don't think Jason lights blow smoke when he says that they feel pretty comfortable about all of these guys making this team, which is really hard to do considering how many people they brought back.
2: No doubt. No doubt. No. It's great insight as always from you, Luke. And I want to leave it here. I just want to get your your non bucks favorite moment of day one. Now, was it finally finding out what the Falcons are going to do that they abs- absolutely did take Kyle Pitts? Like we kind of were starting to feel like they were going to do. For me personally, I just want to give you mine. I loved the Broncos situation at number nine where they had the opportunity to take Justin Fields, or take Patrick Sertan, or take Micah Parsons, or trade. Like I just found that so freaking fascinating. And oh my! Oh, by the way, John Heath over Broncos Wire is going crazy over the Aaron Rodgers news that he might be heading to the Broncos via trade. So there was so much drama going on with number nine for the Broncos. But then them taking Sertan there and bypassing Justin Fields, I thought that was just so fun. It kind of triggered what happened next with the Bears moving up. I loved everything about that. But what was your favorite part about day one?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to pick. I think if I had to narrow it down to a few, I think the first one would be the 49ers, you know, confirming for everyone that they were going to be smart and not do what we all were afraid they would actually do, which is take Mac Jones ahead of Trey Lance and Justin Fields. They went with Trey Lance, which I think was a very, very smart pick. Uh, Mac Jones slid to 15 at New England, which is exactly what should have happened. That's where he belonged in terms of value. It's a good fit for him as a player. He had no business being taken ahead of Justin Fields <laughs> and Trey Lance. So I'm glad we can put that to bed like we've been trying to say for months. Yes, um, Justin Fields obviously going to Chicago. I love that. I love them making the move up to get that, especially – if what we've heard recently is true, that Minnesota was prepared to take him at 14. If he fell to 14, that would have been hilarious Wild. to see that yeah. dynamic between him. And, and obviously, it's already, I think it's already interesting with Kellen Mond being there because he's literally the anti-Kirk Cousins in every way. So that it, it says something, I think, about the way they want that play, position to be played in the future. Um, but honestly, I think it, my favorite dynamic that I, that I saw in the first round was what happened between Philly and Dallas. You never see interdivision trades that high in the draft. But I, lo- I would love to imagine the conversation where it's, you know, it's Howie Roseman calling up Jerry and he's saying, listen, the Giants are going to take Devontae at 11. <laughs> You're going to have to deal with him twice a year anyway. Why don't we make a deal and we screw over the Giants? <laughs> you drop back and get Parsons who you want anyway. Both the corners are off the board. So even if you wanted one of them, you can't have one. And you get a third round pick out of the deal. I'm going to overpay to do this because I really want to stick it to the giants. I'm only going to move up two spots. I'm going to give you a third round pick. You drop back. You get the guy you want. We get the guy you want. You're still going to have to face Devonte Smith either way. And Dave Gettleman gets to be sad. Everybody wins. It's going to be great. So I would love to, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that zoom conference where they, they negotiated that and made that work. Cause again, the Eagles get the guy they want. The Giants obviously end up trading back, which is always a telltale sign of, damn it, we didn't get our guy. No doubt. <laughs> and then, you know, and obviously the guy they did take, Darius Toney, you know, undersized with explosive playmaker wide receiver. Obviously they were going to take Smith at, at 11 there. So, and then Dallas gets back. They take Parsons at 12, who they would have taken at 10, and they get an extra third round pick to show for us. So everybody wins in that deal, except for the team that, again, didn't get to be a part of the conversation. <laughs> so I, I thought that was a fun 10, 11, 12. You got three teams in the same division, all kind of, working against one another there and, and then teaming up to, to stick it to one of the other teams. That was really funny.
2: That was tremendous. Yeah. And I was really, really pulling for Devonte Smith to go to the giants because I had predicted that on the giants wire podcast. And you know, some of the people who heard that were calling us idiots. Oh, you Idiots are not taking a wide receiver idiots. Well, well, How'd that work out for you? You know, so I was really pulling for Devontae. And then I'm like, oh, you, you Eagles, what are you doing? You know, they screwed me over there. I was very upset, along with all of Giants fans, I think. But they got a good little player. I think Kadarius Tony's going to be fine.
3: Yeah, I think uh, one interesting thing I saw was that the Raiders and the Giants are two teams that took the players. Their first two picks were taken in the wrong rounds. So it evens out, right? Everybody's yeah. mad, at, yeah, mad totally. at the Raiders for taking Leatherwood at 17, mad at the Giants for taking Tony at 20. And then the Raiders trade up and get Trevon Merrick at 43, who they should have taken the first round pick and gotten Leatherwood in the second. And then the Giants end up with Aziz Ojolari, who you know I've been talking about for months is one of my favorite edge rushers totally. in this draft. They get him in the second round after trading back again. Dave Gettleman hadn't traded in eight years. He had not traded down. He literally traded down from both of his first two picks in this draft. So if you had switch to those players on both teams everybody would be having a completely different conversation about their draft class because they'd be like yeah we got great value of both picks like yeah well if you reach for one guy and stole the other it evens out who cares
2: trader dave yeah trader dave so uh good stuff man that was a fun draft great weekend definitely make sure you're checking out draft wire and bucks wire and, and all that it's just such great content and uh hey next week maybe we can start to look ahead a little bit to the summer? Look ahead to the actual season, 2021. How this will all piece together, Luke? Does that sound good to you?
3: Hey, it's it's time to get ready for the repeat now.
2: Let's do it, man! Right? Let's do it. So, uh, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you all then.